Turn in your Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. By the way, I often neglect to say this, but if you're uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there are Bibles in the underneath the seats in front of you, uh, and uh, those are there for you to use. But if you don't have a Bible, that's also uh, something that you can take home with you, and uh, that can be our gift to you. Uh, We want you to be able to read God's Word. But Colossians chapter 1, that's where we'll be today. Uh, While you're turning there, let me just uh, give you a roadmap for where we will be, uh, what we'll be doing on Sunday mornings for the next few weeks. We just finished our study of the book of 1 Corinthians, which took us, uh, I think, about 10 or 11 months. And so we we completed that study, and uh, this week and next week will be kind of a one-off sermon each week, and then uh, Pastor Jamie and I are going to be headed to Thailand on a mission trip to to kind of get to know and, and support our IMB missionaries there in Thailand. And so for the following two weeks, uh, we'll have uh, Skipper Bennett will be preaching, and then Pastor Guy Weathers will be preaching. Uh, the following week, and then when I get back, we'll be in the book of Proverbs. That'll be our next uh, kind of longer series, and I think that'll probably take us about four or five months to get through the book of Proverbs. Uh, so that's where we're going. Uh, I, I would encourage you, if you haven't done this already, uh, to begin to read that book on your own so that you can be your heart can be ready to receive whatever God has for you uh, when we study that together on Sunday mornings. But today we will be in Colossians chapter 1. And I want to read just two verses for us today, and then we'll pray and get into the sermon. Look with me at verses 9 and 10. Paul says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me now? God, thank you for revealing your character and your will and your desires in the pages of Scripture. Thank you for a text like this one that we just read that opens the door on what it is that you want us to pray for, for each other, and pursue in our own spiritual lives. This is one of those prayers that if we ask this for ourselves, we know that you want to say yes, because this is your will. It's revealed in your word. And so, Father, I pray that you would do the very thing that, that we just read, and that you would begin to do it even as we, as we talk through what this passage means And uh, certainly as we start out a new year. And uh, Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This past holiday season, I would bet that thousands of young men, at one time or another, got down on one knee and asked their girlfriend, will you marry me? Most of those guys had a reasonable degree of certainty that they knew what the answer to that question was likely to be. I have a lot of respect and admiration for guys who go into that situation and they don't know what the answer is going to be. Good for them. I couldn't do it. 
I would want to know. I don't think I would have that kind of gumption. When I asked my wife to marry me, I wanted to be fairly certain that the answer would be yes. In hindsight, and she would probably say this, I was a little too cautious, you know, a little too slow on the uh, understanding of what was going to take place. But like a lot of guys, I wanted to know the answer would be yes. As a dad and a husband, there are certain questions that my kids or my wife could ask me and know that the answer is likely to be yes. Do you want me to make you something for breakfast? Yes. Can I be excused to go study for my algebra test? Yes. Can we plan a trip so we can do some hiking together? Yes. Hey, Dad, would it be all right since we're already at the store if we went and picked up some butter pecan ice cream? Yes, that's fine. In fact, most of the time they wouldn't even need to ask because they know me well enough to know what I value, what I appreciate, what I get excited about. They know me. And what you may not realize or appreciate is is that there is a sense in which this is also true of our Heavenly Father. There are certain questions, certain prayers that we can bring to him and know with certainty that the answer is likely to be yes. I'll give you an example. Just before his arrest, the Lord Jesus himself bows to pray for himself, for the 12 apostles who were there with him, and for all Christians. Whatever Jesus asks for in this prayer in John 17, we know he is going to receive because Jesus' desires and the Father's desires are lined up with one another. So whatever Jesus prays for is obviously what the Father wants to say yes to. Very important that we understand what Jesus wants from that prayer. The same can be said for the prayers of the apostles recorded in Holy Scripture. Think about it. All Scripture is God-breathed. It comes from the mouth of God. It has the quality of being the divine word. The words of this book are the words of God. So the prayers of Peter or Paul or any of the other apostles are nothing less than the desires of Almighty God for the people for whom the apostles pray. And the same is is true for the Colossian church or the Philippian church or the Thessalonian church or our church. This is the will of God for us. Such a prayer appears in the short text that we read a moment ago. What is God's will for Indian Creek Baptist Church in the year 2024? Well, this passage and others like it give us some insight into what God wants for us. What's God's will for you in 2024? What, what is his will for your family? It's not, it, it's not a mystery shrouded in secrecy like, man, I've got to figure out what God wants. No, he, he makes it very clear in his word what he wants for each of us. What's his will for each of our lives? Today is January 7th, 2024. This marks the sixth time that I have come into this pulpit and preached for the first time uh, in the new year. Can you, I mean, just, it's remarkable to me, six times. (laughs) Praise God for that. Six years ago, we were in the very same passage of Scripture, believe it or not. I know you remember that. I'm sure you do. And uh, I made the comment in that sermon that Indian Creek Baptist Church should be more like a river than a lake, 
more like a highway than a parking lot. Here's what that means. As a church that's been here for over 100 years, a church in a small town, the pool of inertia and gravity, and we've always done it this way, you, you know what I'm talking about, that's a strong pool. The temptation for us as individuals is to sit, to settle, to do it the same, to kind of park there, to uh, be like an old sedan that's just in the parking spot. Like, this is what we've always done. We're not going to change. We're not going to grow. To sort of grow stagnant instead of swimming in the current of the grace of God. But no, our church, according to the word of God, I mean, for, as, I, as I understand it, it shouldn't be a parking lot. It shouldn't be a, a pond. It should be more like a river. It should be more like a highway. It should be moving. We should be growing. We should be doing what God wants us to do. And as Paul makes clear in this passage, God doesn't want us to just wither on the vine. He wants us to grow. And I could talk for a long time about how that could work on the level of our church as a whole. But what I want to do today is just look at a slice of that pie, okay? One piece of that. Uh, more an individual application of, of that reality. Specifically, I want us for a few moments to consider the fact that if our church is going to be all that God wants us to be, then think about this. The men in our church are going to have to take the initiative on a personal level. You say, why are you going after the men specifically? Uh, the truth is, about 90% about what I'm, uh, of what I'm going to say really applies to everybody in the room. But here's why I want to go after the men today. Buckle your seatbelts. It's because I've learned that in any family, any community, we men have a powerful impact on the culture and the progress of everybody else. And the temptation, of course, is, is for us to sit back and say, you know, I'm okay parking. And we don't need to be that way. And by the way, it's true, men, that we have an influence. We lead from the front or we lead by sitting in the back. I don't mean that literally back row people. My, my point is to say, whether we're doing nothing or whether we're doing something, we have influence and impact and inertia that's going to impact the way that our church operates. It's just a fact of life. Even sociologists have found this to be the case. Dads who have a healthy relationship with their kids uh, and have a strong faith, they're, they're almost twice as likely to pass that faith down to the next generation, according to sociological studies. That's a huge impact. And so here's what I want to challenge you men to do in 2024. It's really the same thing that Paul prays for the Colossian believers and the thing that we can know God wants for you today. You don't have to question it. This is the will of God. Here it is. Get off the bench. Get in the game. Take responsibility for your own spiritual health and the spiritual health of your family and your church. That's it. Get off the bench, get in the game, take responsibility for your own spiritual health and the spiritual health of your family and your church. You say, okay, that resonates with me. How do I do that? Three things. Number one, learn hungrily. Number two, live holy. Number three, lead humbly. Let's talk through each of these one by one. First of all, my prayer for myself, for you, is that we would learn hungrily that we would learn hungrily. Notice the very first thing for which Paul prays here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. 
he says, from the first day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Did you catch the emphasis on knowledge, understanding, wisdom? That's Paul's prayer. By the way, this wasn't just a need for the Colossian church. If we compare this passage to Paul's other letters, we find the same emphasis and even the same language. He prays for the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 1, that they might grow with knowledge and all discernment that you may approve what is excellent in Philippians chapter 1. He prays the same thing for the Ephesian church according to Ephesians chapter 1. He says, that the, he says I'm praying excuse me, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know. Clearly, in Paul's mind, it was the will of God that every believer in these churches, every believer in our church, grow in knowledge and discernment and wisdom. You might say it's impossible to really grow in our relationship with Christ without growing in one's knowledge of this book. So what I'm saying is if you're going to get off the bench and get into the game, then you're going to have to learn hungrily. You ever work with somebody like that? You know what I'm talking about? A guy that's new on the job, and he's always watching what you're doing. He wants to know how, why did you do that? Why, why is it that you just used the speed square instead of the combination square? Or why, why, can you show me how you changed those brakes so quickly? Or why did you use the needle nose pliers instead of the lineman pliers that you were using at the last job? I mean, yeah, it can get a little annoying to work with somebody like that. He's so curious, he kind of interrupts your flow. But it's way better than the alternative, right? You know, the guy who he wants you to tell him exactly what to do, and the minute he gets to the last step that you told him to do, he gets out his phone and he starts looking at social media, and he just stands there. That's not the kind of people we want to be. We want to learn hungrily. Well, where's your hunger for the knowledge of the Word of God? Don't you want to be in the game? Don't you want to get out of the stagnant, lukewarm pond and into the river of spiritual growth and fruitfulness? The psalmist says the word of God is sweeter than honeycomb. He says he desires it more than his necessary food. And if we think we're going to be all God wants us to be, guys, without diving into this book, then it's, we're kidding ourselves. In 2024, I want to challenge you to engage with the word of God to learn hungrily in two specific ways. First of all, I challenge you to give your energy and your attention to the preached word of God. To the preached word of God. This is what the Thessalonian believers were doing. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, he says, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, Paul's preaching, When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. That's 1 Thessalonians 2, 13. When was the last time you leaned forward to receive the Sunday morning meal, the preached word of God? When was the last time you were changed by the preaching of God's word? You say, Jake, no offense, maybe if you could preach a little better or be a little more interesting, you know, that would, I would answer, you know, more in the the affirmative on that. And that's fair, okay? Nobody wishes I were a better preacher as much as I do. 
But guess what? It just doesn't matter because God's given me the abilities that he's given me and I'm supposed to steward those abilities and that's the way it is. And that's, and that's who you get, okay? So that's what you get. You see, and, and, and so uh, here, here's, what, here's the problem with a, a, an objection like that. This is the implied assumption. What we're, what we're implying when we say something like that, even though I know you wouldn't probably say it out loud, at least to me, if, if I were in the room, the implied assumption is that listening to the preached word of God is a spectator sport, something that we passively receive instead of actively go for. It's not a spectator sport. It's spiritual warfare. It really is. Satan doesn't want you to hear the word of God. He's going to do whatever it takes so that you don't hear the word of God. Your flesh doesn't receive the word of God. Your sinful nature doesn't like the word of God. The world isn't going to give any airtime to the word of God. So, You've got to be active about it. You've got to be eager for it. You've got to be awake and engaged with Bible open and pen in hand. Jot down some notes, for goodness sake. If you miss the first time, if it doesn't make sense the first time, go back and listen to it later in the week. This is what God has for you. You want to know why so many churches languish, why so many families stumble in their spiritual walk. In many cases, it's because the men in that church, it's because the men in that family have learned to object to whatever they hear from an imperfect preacher. And they recognize that they can sneer and scoff and roll their eyes and make excuses. And they say, whatever, what what gives him the right or who does he think he is? And they hide behind the preacher's flaws instead of receiving what they hear from the word of God. Guys, I'm not going to be standing next to you or in front of you when you stand before the Lord. You know that. It's between you and him. You take the initiative. You take ownership. You get off the bench and get into the game. You take responsibility for your own spiritual health and the health of your family and your church. You have exactly zero control over how well I preach or anybody else preaches, but you have control over how well you listen, learn hungrily. Of course, that doesn't just apply to the preaching of the word. Here's a second specific way I would encourage you to learn hungrily in 2024. This also applies to your own private, personal engagement with the Word of God. Don't let 2024 be another year the devil gets the advantage. It has never been easier than it is today for you to get into the Bible. There are so many tools. Sometimes it's overwhelming. Sometimes that's part of the problem is that we get overwhelmed by the different options. Pick one. And don't be afraid, by the way. Don't be too proud or embarrassed to start with a baby step. That's one of the reasons we don't do anything is because we're too proud. We realize we've got to take a baby step. Five minutes of Bible reading is better than zero. If you really want to grow, there are easy ways to start. You could take, here's just a couple suggestions. Take your weekly bulletin, and if you're not doing anything at all, take your weekly bulletin, open it up to the service order, and after you've gone through Sunday morning church, three or four times that week, read the passages that are listed out in that service order, the sermon text and the other text that we read, and then maybe jot down a few things that God is opening your eyes to see and understand. Uh, Here's another, uh, excuse me, suggestion. Why not read the Bible one-on-one with a friend? I used to do this with somebody uh, in Pennsylvania. We would get together on Thursday afternoons at at 2 p.m., 
and we would say, okay, what's the next book we're going to read together? And uh, we, okay, Hebrews, let's go to Hebrews chapter one. We get together at Dunkin' Donuts at 2 p.m. in Quakertown, Pennsylvania, and we'd sit down and we'd read Hebrews chapter one together, and then we'd just talk about it, and then we'd go back to doing what we were doing. If you want to develop a habit of reading the Bible, you need to ask yourself, what am I going to stop doing so that I can read God's word? Just reason it out. Like, just make a plan. I have to leave for work at six. I have to get ready. That takes me about 20 minutes. Uh, That means I need to be done with my quiet time at 540. That means I need to be out of bed between 5 and 515. That means I need to go to bed earlier than I've been going to bed, which means I need to leave my phone over to the side so that doesn't keep me up late at night. Just kind of work backwards and make a plan. Engage with the Word of God. If you're serious and you have to get really practical, stop making excuses. Focus on what you can control and do it. Make 2024 the year you started to dig into God's word. By the way, Pastor Andrew put together a whole list of resources for us on our website. You just go to our website, click resources, Bible reading, and there's enough there for you to stay busy. If our church is going to fulfill our mission and reach our potential as the blood-bought royal priests of Jesus Christ, then that means the, the men, we men, are going to have to get off the bench and get in the game and take responsibility for our spiritual health and the health of our families and our church. That means we need to learn hungrily. Number one, learn hungrily. Number two, live holy. Live holy. This is what Paul prays for in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. He prays that believers would be full of spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? For what purpose? so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What does that mean, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? It means live holy. You say, well, maybe that was a specific need of the Colossian believers. No, he prays the same thing for the Philippians, the Ephesians, the Thessalonians, Philippians 1.10. Paul prays that the Philippian believers would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Ephesians 4.1, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11, Paul says, to this end, we always pray for you that, that our God may make you worthy of his calling. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, Paul comes out and he tells the Thessalonians outright, this is the will of God. Wait a second, the will of God, that's a mysterious thing. I've got to see a sign. I've got to kind of get a funny feeling in my stomach. No, it's very clear. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Translation, be holy, live holy. You say, I've been struggling with alcohol for a long time, or I've always struggled with my temper. Okay, first of all, Are you really telling the truth when you say that? Are you really struggling with that? You've been fighting with that sin. You've been digging into God's word for help. You've been in prayer about it. You've been reaching out to your brothers and sisters in Christ and saying, hey, I need some help. You've really been struggling with that sin? Or have you just been saying, okay, and giving in? Don't tell me you've been struggling with drunkenness if you know you're liable to get drunk, but you have three or four bottles of liquor in the cabinet. That's not struggling with it. That's just accepting it 
in your life. If you were really struggling, you'd dump it out. Don't tell me you're struggling with your temper if only if the only people in your life who know that you have a temper are your wife and kids. If you're really struggling, then you've got to enlist the help of your brothers in Christ in your church. Here's the point I want to make. You need to start believing this. It is not God's will for believers like you and me to keep falling prey to that sin over and over and over and over again, year after year after year after year. That's not God's will. This prayer makes it very clear. He desires for you to have victory over that sin. He desires for you to grow. He desires for you to say no and leave it behind and not pick it up again. That's what he wants for you. You say, well, I don't know. you don't understand what happened to me when I was a kid. Listen, that's true. And I may not. Maybe you're carrying those experiences around. Maybe you've got a lot of grief and sorrow and, and you've got some righteous anger that you're carrying around. I don't know. But you don't need to sin in order to face those things. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. You say, why is it that I'm not where I want to be spiritually? Or why is it that my family is like a powder keg waiting to explode? Why is it that our church isn't reaching our community like I know it could? Why aren't we reaching our potential like I know that we could? It it may be very, very simple. Like it may be as simple as what do you think is going to happen if you're looking at pornography three or four times a week? What do you think is going to happen if your heart is a cesspool of bitterness and resentment? Do you think that God's just going to say, that's fine, leave that over to the side, but you move forward in these other areas of life? That's just not the way it works we got to deal with these sins. Let's make 2024 the year we stop carrying lust and bitterness and anger and drunkenness around. How are you supposed to get off the bench and get in the game if, if your legs and your arms are bound in sin? You're, you're not going to be very effective out there on the court if you're tied up. How about we really start struggling? How about we really start fighting? How about you call up one of the elders or your CG leader or another guy in the church and say, listen, I need some help with this. It is much easier to walk in repentance if you take the initiative rather than waiting till it gets to be too much. Uh, By the way, I don't want you to get the wrong idea, especially if you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus. I'm not telling you that we need to get rid of sin in order to have a relationship with God. That's the opposite of what I'm saying. No, the Bible's very clear that we ha- we're sinners. Every single person has fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We all uh, come before the Lord with guilt. He sees it all, everything. And we don't come before the Lord after we get cleaned up. We come to him because he's the only one that can clean us up. The, the Bible makes it very clear that it wasn't the righteous Pharisee who did everything right that was justified before God. It was the tax collector, the sinner, who beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me. That man was the one who was justified. So if you're not a believer in Jesus, if you haven't come to him and asked for forgiveness and said, I believe Jesus died for me, then if you don't know that you're justified, if you don't know that you're right with God because of what he's done instead of what you've earned, that's where you've got to start. But friends, God, God doesn't leave us wallowing there. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He gives us the word of God. He gives us the church of God. He equips us with the things that we need to live a godly life. And yes, it's 
gradual. Yes, it takes place over a long period of time, but he invites us to make progress, to live a holy life. So let's get off the bench. Let's get in the game. Let's take responsibility for our own spiritual health and the health of our family and our church. Learn hungrily. Live holy. Thirdly, lead humbly. Lead humbly. Paul prays for the Colossian believers that they might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit. That's important. I have two apple trees two peach trees, a pecan tree in my backyard, but it doesn't matter because there's no fruit on those trees. They could be any kind of tree because the whole point is to see fruit. We haven't seen any fruit. You want to see fruit, and the chief vine dresser of this vineyard, Indian Creek Baptist Church, wants to see fruit in our lives. By the way, you guessed it, Paul prays the same thing for the Philippian church. He he prays that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. He prays for the Thessalonians that God might fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. In other words, Paul desired that the Holy Spirit would give the believers there in Thessalonica spiritual ambitions and then fulfill those ambitions. He wanted them to bear fruit. Did you know that God wants you to be ambitious, that he wants you to dream, that he wants more fruitfulness? He wants you to dream of greater usefulness and greater service, not for your own glory, but for his glory. Another way of saying this is that God wants to answer the prayer of your heart to lead humbly. God's will for us is that we would lead humbly. And this is very easy to misunderstand in two specific ways. First of all, we tend, especially as men, to lead, but not humbly. And and it's easy to miss this because we tend to think that being a servant leader means bossing people around, having everyone agree with us, everybody do what we tell them to do, but to do it in a nice way with a smile on our face. And we think that's being a servant leader. That's not necessarily being a servant leader. If you're going to lead, you'll have many, many opportunities to test your humility because there will be many, many times when the people, excuse me, that you hope to influence don't agree with you or don't like you or don't even think about you. And you're going to have to lead anyway. Or they, they, if you're a proud man, you're going to feel that. And of course, there's pride lurking in every one of us, so you're going to have to kill it every time. Servant leadership, humble leadership, often means that you do what God calls you to do, even though nobody else seems to care what you're doing. And you have the faith that you're going to do what God calls you to do, no matter who's following behind you. Servant leaders wash windows, pull weeds, put away dishes, listen carefully, rather than jockeying for influence. They recognize that they aren't too important to change a diaper, stack chairs, visit shut-ins. To lead humbly is, it's kind of like making financial investments. The be- and by the way, this is not real financial advice, okay? But as I understand it, the best investments are not the investments where I'm trying to turn a quick buck, right? It's patient Investing for the long haul, content with small gains in the short term because we're looking for real, lasting value. Humble leadership is this way. 
You might not have a lot of followers right away. You might not have a lot of influence that you feel like you have right away, but that's fine. Your faithfulness over time begins to build momentum. People begin to notice your character, your consistency, and over time, God gives you greater and greater ministry. This is the humble leadership God is calling us to. The church is not like a garden with tomato plants that rise up in a couple months and bear fruit and then wither away. It's much more like an orchard or a vineyard. It's the work of years and years and years. Be patient, lead humbly. A lot of us fall short of God's will as leaders because we fail to lead humbly. But on the other hand, a lot of us fail in this way because we fail to lead at all. What I mean is we're always waiting around for somebody else to take the initiative, for somebody else to do what's right, and then we'll follow them. We're always blaming somebody else or some circumstance we can't control as a reason why we can't bear fruit as followers of Christ. The lack of initiative, the lack of courage, the lack of willingness to stand alone or lead from the front as an example, that's a form of leadership in itself. It's just the opposite kind that God, from, from that which God is calling us to do. When we do that, we are teaching people in our orbit that they don't have any say in whether they walk with Christ that it's something that just happens at random, that God, you know, he's trying to grow his church. He's trying to grow believers, but he just didn't succeed in my case. We're teaching people. We're leading people to view God a certain way, whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not. You do not want the people in your orbit, your family, your community group, your church, to follow Christ courageously in spite of your lack of initiative. You want them to follow Christ because of your example. You want them to be able to look to you as an example, not for your own glory, but as a trophy of the grace of God. And by the way, men and women, this is what God designed you for. Did you remember what we read moments ago in the service from Genesis chapter 1? God said, I'm going to make man in our image. And then what's the first thing he told the man to do? You be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and what? Subdue it. Have dominion. You are designed to lead. You are designed to exercise leadership, to have influence in the world. You are designed to bear fruit. Did you know that exercising servant leadership can be a blessing to the people in your family and your church? We tend to think it's the opposite. If I take the initiative, if I lead, then I'm kind of being pushy. No. It's possible for that to, have a, to be a blessing to the people in your family. It's not oppressive or evil to lead in a Christ-like way, to say, I'm going to do what Jesus asked me to do. I'm going to do it no matter what anybody else does. And yeah, I'd love for you to join me. Come on. But no matter what, I'm going to do what Christ wants me to do. To say, if not me, then who? To be willing to stand up and be counted as a follower of Christ rather than waiting to see if it's going to be popular or whether it's going to be socially acceptable or advantageous. That's God's will for you. It's God's will for all of us. Guys, let's make this our refrain in 2024. Get off the bench. Get in the game. Take responsibility for your own spirit.
want to pause for a moment, recognizing that you've made your will very clear, and the truth of the matter is, uh, we fall short of that, and and, uh, so we want to renew our our brokenness before you. We want to renew our dependence on you. And we want to rest again in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we think of men like Peter, Paul, uh, men like Jonah, men like Abraham or Moses, whose flaws were, were visible for all to see. And we recognize that you use them, and, and we want the same thing for us. We want to be used as well. And so, Father, I pray that you would that you would cleanse us, that you would pick us up out of the, the dust, and that you would strengthen us to live in obedience to you, to not be passive, to not make it a spectator sport, but to really be in the game this year. Father, I know that you're convicting men and women and, and, and kids and teens all across this room about specific things, and I pray that in this moment you would send your Holy Spirit to uh, empower each one of us to address that matter before you. Father, I pray for anybody in this room who is not a believer in Jesus, who doesn't know for sure that they are going to spend eternity with you. And Lord, I pray that you would work powerfully in their heart to bring about the, the faith that's required to receive the gift of grace. And I pray that you would do it in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.